It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your host, Joe Rowles. Welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. I am Joe Rowles, and today I am joined by KC Sports Network Chief in Carolina, Matt Lane. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm stoked to talk Chiefs Broncos. Hey man, that, thanks for having me on. Um, I know you had on Craig Stout before for the first matchup, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna try to be as good as I'm sure Craig was because uh, we all we all know Craig, Craig's good at this kind of stuff. Uh, and if you guys don't follow Matt on Twitter, he is at Chief in Carolina. If you don't follow KC Sports Network, I know like the rivalry stuff like that, but legitimately good information. Uh, I like to keep up with the AFC West rivals. Uh, so you guys are like my one-stop shop for the Chiefs. So thank you. I mean, that's awesome. I think at this point in time, I pretty much you're the you're the one Broncos account that I like. I follow all the time. I guess I get a lot of information from Ben Albright just because I do follow him. There's a lot of information, but like that's pretty much where all my Broncos info comes from. And hey, man, you keep me up to date perfectly well. Thanks, I appreciate it. Uh, hopefully going forward, a little bit more upbeat. Uh, but obviously we got to get through this game first. Uh, kind of. I mean, I'm just gonna you know like just level it. I know listeners know this. This is kind of a meaningless game for the Broncos in a way, uh, just because they're already dead in the playoff race. Uh, the Chiefs are not. We'll get there in a second. But kind of like for this game for the Broncos, it's kind of a Black Monday game. Like basically at this point, Vic Fangio has not been told, as far as we know, as as we're recording on Wednesday, that he is out. Uh, that might We might have reports before the game even starts on Saturday. Uh, but as of now, he's still in for next season. Uh, he does have the most losses for any Broncos head coach through three seasons in franchise history with 29. Uh, John Elway and Joe Ellis are on their way out after the season. So it's kind of a Fangio could make a statement and maybe like make his case to stay if he puts on a good performance in this game. If not, like I, again, like at this point, like we don't really know. Uh, and the other thing is, because Frangio is kind of in a lame duck situation, it's hard to say for sure if the Broncos are going to really be up for this game. I would imagine so, just because for a lot of guys, there's already guys being placed on injured reserve, uh, stuff like that. So like for some guys, this is like their opportunity to kind of make a statement that they belong in the role that they're going to have in this game. Caden Stearns comes to mind. Uh, safety playing for Kareem Jackson, who is now on injured reserve. The Broncos don't really have a safety next to Justin Simmons unless they're planning on Caden Stearns. Uh, so this is kind of Stearns' chance to say, I am the guy. Give me a chance next year. But but really, in this game, it's, it's going to be kind of like that for the Broncos. Meanwhile, the Chiefs have to win, and they need the Titans to lose to get the, the bye in the AFC playoffs. So like they have every reason to go guns a-blazing in this game. They do. And they, they can't lose this one because I believe if they drop this and the Bengals win, there might have to be another game in there too, but they could even fall down to the three seed uh, at the end of the week. So this is a game that they do have to win. And even without the bye week, it's still going to be important. There's the chance at the one seed. Worst case scenario, you do lock up the two seed. So yeah, the Chiefs should have a little bit to play for, but then it's so tricky with Andy Reid. He likes to get guys to rest heading into the playoffs as much as possible. So if it's even remotely feels like the game's in control, he might pull way off the gas pedal and start getting some guys rotating in early. And we've been seeing that since the bye week. So it's just going to be interesting to see what the Chiefs kind of playing times end up being at the end of this game. And from, from my perspective, that's like both good and bad. First of all, that is probably why the NFL put this game on Saturday. I know Broncos fans have been asking this for a couple of days. Like, why the heck are we on Saturday in prime time? We don't matter. Uh, this is the NFL for the second time now, basically making the Broncos fodder to see what happens with the drama in Kansas city. And then, I mean, it is what it is like that. That is kind of the reality of where we're at, but because it's on Saturday, the chiefs can't just go into this game with backups. They have to at least secure the win. If they're going to do that uh, on the fortunate side of this. And again, I'm not trying to be all doom and gloom, but on the fortunate side of this, if the Chiefs do get up, but they start to pull guys, we will, at least from a Broncos perspective, do, we'll get a chance to see some young guys maybe have some success against backup Chiefs. The bad part of this is the Broncos are going to end up facing Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and the whole starting slew of Chiefs in the beginning of this game. Do they have a chance? Really? 
I, you know, I don't know everywhere where the Broncos are right now, but this would be one of the big surprises if the Chiefs don't come out and put up some points early in this game. I, I think they'll come out and they will try to go up three, four scores within the first, you know, quarter and a half, first half, and then they just want to be done. Like they might leave the starters in to ride it out a little bit after that, but they want to get those guys out as quick as possible. So I do think the Chiefs will come out trying hard at the beginning with the entire goal to be get this game put away as fast as possible. I mean, it's as fast as humanly possible. So I wouldn't be surprised to see the Chiefs start really hot in this one. And if they get out to a lead on just with the Broncos team, the way they're looking these last couple weeks, I think it would be kind of hard to feel like there's going to be much of a chance if you go down 10, 14 points right off the bat. Agreed. And I want to touch on the injuries just kind of before we get into the actual matchups. And again, guys, this is Wednesday. Uh, but with the kind of like where things are at in Denver, in my opinion, if you're not practicing at this point, there's any sort of question about your availability, they should shut you down. Uh, and that's Patrick Sertan. It came out today that he is quote unquote, highly questionable. The team reported that I would assume that they're going to play it easy with him just because you don't want to risk your ninth overall pick getting hurt at the end of the season, having to get ready for next year. If there's any doubt about his calf, they'll probably shut him down. Uh, the other big ones are Nate Hairston, who is the Broncos nickel. If, uh, well, if Bryce Callahan can't play, Nate Hairston will play the nickel. He is out right now with an illness. He's probably going to be good to go. He's a free agent. So he has every reason to play in this game. And then Shelby Harris, Shelby Harris has been dealing with an ankle slash knee slash a slew of lower body stuff for about a month now. Uh, he's also didn't practice today because of an illness. His status is going to be worth noting just because again, the Broncos do have him under contract next year. They don't have any reason to play him unless they, they want to, I guess. Uh, but then Darby Fant, Gordon Locke, uh, Steven and Williams were all limited today. I would assume almost all of them will play. Uh, and then on, on the chief side of it, I was definitely interested in the fact Orlando Brown played today or practiced today. Because him missing practice or missing the Bengals game was a huge deal for you guys. Because then Lucas Niang got hurt. Lucas Niang did miss practice. Uh, but I would assume Brown is probably going to play in this game if he's sort of close. It sounds like it's trending in that direction right now. Um, I think Thursday is the big practice for Andy Reid. Oh, I guess no, because it's a Saturday game now. So yeah, whatever happened this past uh, today, yeah, this, this injury report, then that should be the final kind of list. So it would take a setback from Orlando Brown, just historically for him not to play for an Andy Reid team now. So I imagine he'll give it a go. I will say it was nice to see Joe Tooney just jump into left tackle and Nick Allegretti jump into left guard. And we can talk about this later if we, you know, if you want to, oh, but it was just nice that the Chiefs, they, they have a replacement. Like it was fine. There was no issues with those two guys stepping in there. So if Orlando Brown can't play, it's not a huge deal, but it's a big deal, but it's not game wrecking even in this scenario kind of for the Chiefs. And that's actually a good segue, I think, to uh, the only other injury that I want to mention for the Chiefs is uh, CEH is, didn't practice today. His status looks questionable. And that, that we'll get on that in a second. But the thing with Brown, and especially with Tooney sw shifting over and looking competent as he did, he did that against Trey Hendrickson. Uh, and Trey Hendrickson is a Pro Bowl edge rusher. Like, he is a legitimately good edge rusher this year. At this point, Bradley Chubb is kind of working his way back from the bone spurs that like knocked out a big chunk of his season. The Broncos have Jonathan Cooper across from him and Malik Reed. The Broncos edge rush is nowhere near what anybody thought it was going to be. Uh, at this point, just, you know, just the reality of it. They are very dependent on Vic Fangio kind of dialing up games to create pressure. So Orlando Brown status is worth noting just because that might help the Broncos case. But the fact that Tooney was so capable shifting over it's it doesn't look like it will decide the game is kind of like something to keep in mind yeah and the biggest one of just kind of what you mentioned bradley chubb if healthy is obviously kind of the best of that group yeah. he's got a little bit more length than trey hendrickson like i think that was a good matchup for joe tooney having to kick out the tackle was he got another shorter arm guy across from him so they couldn't that defensive ends couldn't really take advantage of tooney's lack of length chubb 34-inch arms, if I remember right, from the combine. So he's got more length. It would be interesting to see how that goes if Orlando Brown can't play. But, I mean, if not, I like you said, I don't think it would be game-wrecking just because Tooney's so, you know, coming from New England, they cross-trained a lot. He spent an entire training camp playing left tackle when they were unsure what was going on out there with Isaiah Wynn. Like, he can play left tackle. I think he will be fine. I'd be more concerned about Nick Allegretti playing left guard than I would Joe Tooney playing left tackle, if that makes sense. It does. And, and to me, and I, and I agree, I do think that that looks like the weaker spot. If the Broncos had the pass rush on the interior that they had last year, I'd feel a lot better about it. 
Draymond Jones is essentially the Broncos one consistent pass rusher at this point in the season. Shelby Harris is kind of like mixing in some sacks here and there. It's coming against a lot of the weaker teams that the Broncos have played. So like maybe that's a matchup that could help them if he's healthy enough to play. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not looking at the chiefs line and thinking the Broncos are going to be able to abuse this. Yeah. And that's kind of where I settled in. I will say Jeremiah Jones versus Nick Allegretti is a big mismatch. Like Jeremiah Jones was quick, very quick. Yeah. Good lateral agility. That's what Nick Allegretti does struggle with. Trey Smith on the opposite side struggles with that. And I think we saw in the first matchup, Draymond Jones was able to get him a few times with that quickness. So you put that backup guard who's not played near as good as Trey Smith had in there. That, that's something worth watching. But then, you know, after you get by him, you have to deal with actually getting Patrick Mahomes down. And if all other four guys are blocking well, it's not going to be that big of a deal. It's just going to be a thorn in the Chiefs' side. If there was a chance to upset, like that would be, I think, the avenue it would have to start with is that somebody and that pass rush taking advantage of a mismatch somewhere. And since we're talking about Mahomes, I want to mention this because I know early in the season, the first matchup, the big thing was that the Chiefs were just starting to find their way on offense while the defense like had really transformed. Since the last time the Broncos played the Chiefs, though, Patrick Mahomes has completed over 70% of his passes. He's thrown 10 touchdowns, only one pick. He's been sacked six times, so like that's, you know, maybe there's hope. But, I mean, he looks like Patrick Mahomes again, like from what I've seen. It's great. Like we're, we're back and you know, we're like, it's a, it, we, as a, the chiefs, you know, we're fans. We were sad. We were a sad bunch of fans that middle stretch of this season. Cause we finally got the quarterback to root for that. We had not had for a lot of chiefs fans lives. He's there. And then all of a sudden this year, every team in the NFL figured out how to stop the chiefs. And it was just like the biggest bummer. And it drug on for far too long. You thought you found an answer versus the Raiders, but nope, just happens that Gus Bradley played the worst defense possible. Took a couple more weeks, but yeah, they're rolling now. I think you can see it too. There was a specific throw in this past game against the Bengals where Patrick Mahomes made a no-look pass to Blake Bell while just kind of scrambling forward. You could just tell by his demeanor after it, every amount of confidence or swagger that he had in the past is entirely back. And I think that's the big thing that was missing was he was uncomfortable with some of the throws he was making. He didn't feel confident. That's changed now. Like when he's feeling good, it doesn't matter if everything else is perfect or not. He, I mean, he's Patrick Mahomes right now. And that that's what we wanted as fans. Yeah. And if Sertan is either not playing or is playing hurt, the matchups in the passing game are kind of pretty dire for Denver too. Just because again, the pass rush is hit or miss as of, as of now. And then you look in the secondary, it's going to be Caden Stearns playing for Kareem Jackson. If Sertan's not playing, Darby or Fuller will play the left corner and the other will play the right corner. Fuller has had issues back when he was playing boundary corner early in the season. And then again, last week, Fuller has issues against passes in the deep area of the field. He just doesn't have the legs that he did before. He's it's, it's showing up. It's pretty obvious. And early in the season, before he got benched, teams were isolating him to try and get those one-on-ones downfield. The Jaguars did it. The Giants did it. The Ravens did it. And that's what led to him getting benched. The Chiefs have Tyreek Hill, uh, who is a mismatch against everybody. But if it's against Kyle Fuller, I, I'm i not even... It, it won't even make me upset if if that happens. It's just <laughs> you, you just kind of expect it. Um, at that point, though, the Broncos are going to have to devote a lot of extra attention. And honestly, they're probably going to anyways. They're going to try and keep the safeties over the top to prevent Hill from you know chunking them. But if Fuller's in the game, they're going to really make a concentrated effort, and they will probably allow short completions, allow the running game to get going, if that stops Tyreek Hill from blowing up for 40-yard catches. And that's what the Chiefs have been doing lately. They've got the quick game going again. They've, there's been a kind of a return back to some of Andy Reid's staple West Coast stuff. They've relied on the run game a little bit. It's like they're they're taking what defenses are giving them. But yeah, they, they no doubt want to push the ball down the field. The interesting thing, though, and it's worth watching in this game, is even if Kyle Fuller is isolated on the outside where he's maybe, you know, been attacked earlier in the year, the Chiefs have been really bad throwing the ball deep outside the numbers this year. It's just been really bad when it's one-on-one with Tyree Kill, Demarcus Robinson, Byron Pringle, whoever. They just haven't found a good connection out there. A lot of their deep plays are coming on corner routes, you know, out of the slot or a guy running those deep over or middle adjust routes across the middle of the field. So if Fuller's isolated on the outside – yeah, there might be a speed disadvantage, but whether it's Mahomes' accuracy or the receiver just not running a great route, they haven't had a ton of success throwing the ball deep outside the numbers this season. So you're telling me there's hope. I, I dig that. Yeah, I dig that. 
the other part of it, and Travis Kelsey has obviously been a huge thorn in the Broncos side. Uh, I know a lot of Broncos fans basically for three years since Fangio has been here have basically said the Broncos can't defend tight ends in part because Darren Waller and Travis Kelsey go nuts. Here's the thing. The Broncos have actually done a really good job against tight ends who are, are mortal. Uh, but it turns out, it turns out like Darren Waller, Travis Kelsey have been, you know, when Waller's healthy, but when they're healthy, they've both been huge issues in part because Travis Kelsey is a unicorn. Um, but also Andy Reid does a fantastic job of creating stress on your defense by either isolating him on the nub by himself in a situation where you're going to have a mismatch either with a corner or you have to change your structure of your defense to try and keep on top of him. Or what they'll do is they'll put Kelsey and Hill together and that causes all sorts of issues as well. It, it, there's a point where I, th- and again, I don't question Fangio as a defensive play caller, but I just think like there, there comes a point where the offense is going to have an advantage when you have pieces like Mahomes, Hill, Kelsey. Yeah, it's going to happen. It's a, there's not a lot that you can do. And that's something the Chiefs dealt with for a while to start this year, though, was Travis Kelsey got hurt and it was nothing big. And I think it only popped up briefly on the injury report from the Buffalo Bills game. He took a big shot, but it was something after that. He just wasn't moving the same for a while. And it didn't it took essentially through the bye week for him to kind of look like himself again. And I think that played a big part in slowing down a lot of what the Chiefs wanted to do. You could no longer isolate Travis Kelsey back. You couldn't run, you know, these Y ISO looks and have him be a big cornerback or a good safety one-on-one as consistently as he's done in the years past. Cause I think he hurt his neck. So he just couldn't turn very well. He couldn't turn to locate the ball. Some of his agility looked like it was Zap trying to do this stuff. So that played a big part, but now it's back. Like you want to split him out by himself. And especially without Patrick Sertan, who has the physical skill set to lock him, you know, to cover him. You're either going to have to slide Justin Simmons down now or then take away your best back-end defender or like you're just going to have to trust somebody else to cover him. And I just, looking through the Broncos depth chart right now and who's available at the cornerback spot or even the safety spot, I kind of only see one guy that should match up well. And I don't know if the Broncos are willing to send Simmons down there to cover him one-on-one for an entire game. I, I don't know if that's the way Vic Fangio has been operating with the uh, with the Broncos lately. No. And it, it'll be a, they'll, they'll probably allow him to catch the short stuff and try and prevent him from making the big stuff. That's, that's been the strategy for most of the years. If you're playing against like dynamic passing teams, play it like that, or they'll mix in man coverage and then try and heat you up to make you make mistakes. And they'll kind of mix and match the two, but yeah, they don't, they haven't used Simmons just as an isolated defender very often. Uh, outside of the big two. Uh, and there, it's kind of like, there's always, there's always one guy who shows up in these games. McCole Hardman did a couple years ago. Pringle did last game. Who really stands out to you as kind of like that third guy that looks like he's going to be able to take advantage of like a really good ma- a matchup, especially again, if Sertan's not playing, I feel like the other receivers are cr- going to probably have a good day. Yeah, it's become Byron Pringle this year. As the years got on, his kind of connection with Patrick Mahomes has increased. The Chiefs have found a lot of success using him kind of as this bigger slot receiver rather than trying to force him to play on the outside. So they'll actually put Hill on the outside a little bit more, protect Pringle in the slot, and just let him get that big body. He's still fast, but let him get that big body working on these over routes or some of these slants across the middle of the field. So I'd say Byron Pringle. And then sneaky one is Daryl Williams out of the backfield. Again, another guy that just has a lot of trust from Patrick Mahomes right now. So whether they're getting the ball to him quick in the flats, he's really quick to kind of adjust to the football and turn up field. So you're talking about letting guys complete stuff underneath. Daryl Williams next to Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill is by far the fastest guy you know, collecting the football and turning up field and turning into a runner. So he finds a lot of yards after a catch just because he gets going so quick. So that's kind of been their two most consistent weapons once you get past Kelsey, once you get past Hill. And that's going to be an interesting test too, because Baron Browning is returning from the COVID list. He did today. And then the Broncos are going to have a decision of either if Kenny Young has cleared concussion protocols, he might play or they might continue to go with Jonas Griffith because he's played the last three games and he's looked promising. He was a special teamer. Uh, Broncos traded for him back in training camp. I would say at this point, it makes sense to play him just because Young's a free agent anyway, but you know, who knows? Uh, the other big question in terms of the linebackers is though, when Browning has been out of the games, the Broncos bad run defense looks even worse. Uh, Browning being back. Yeah. And the chiefs, I want to say the chiefs have not had as strong a running game as I expected way back when you guys did make the picks last year, Uh, when you guys got Humphrey and Smith and then kind of how things were shaping up. I was like, 
you guys have the personnel to go gap and just like destroy the Fangio defense because when you play a light box like that, a pulling guard getting across, you're creating a numbers advantage and you have a personnel advantage at that point. They, they I, it looks like they've dabbled a little bit more into it. Um, the trap game definitely looks good. I've seen some counter, but it's still a lot of inside zone. Uh, unfortunately, the Broncos are actually atrocious at defending basically the left B gap all the way over to the C gap on the other side. And teams know it. Teams have run on them in those gaps about 70% of the times, according to Football Outsiders adjusted line yards. Broncos rank as the third, I want to say the second worst team in the middle of the field, like defending between the tackles. And then the, I want to say the third worst team defending off of right tackle. So they're bad at run defense. I mean, I'm with you in terms of what I thought the Chiefs run game would be. And the craziest part is when they do call up gap teams, they will run, they'll sprinkle in some traps, some GT counter stuff in there. They'll run power, they'll run duo, just not often. But when they do, it looks so good and it looks dominant. And then all of a sudden here comes and the inside zone's bad enough, but fine sprinkled in. It's when they start getting into this wide zone on a shotgun with this set of running backs, it just looks so bad and in slow motion. I will say the fortunate thing for them, specifically for this matchup, Daryl Williams runs a lot more gap than he does zone for this team, whereas Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who's probably going to be out as we were talking about, they almost exclusively run him in zone with like the off, like the gap stuff for him is off speed. So I don't know if they see a particular thing with the skill sets. I don't see it. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire ran a bunch of duo, a bunch of power at LSU. They just refuse to do that with them in Kansas City. But Daryl Williams has got a lot more. They do a lot more gap stuff with him in there. And I think you saw kind of in the Bengals game, the Chiefs running backs averaged over six yards per carry. A lot of it was getting in, running a lot of power, a couple duo runs in there. They were trying to lean on it a little bit more. So hopefully for, you know, from the Chiefs side, they do that if they're given light boxes. But I can't put it past them to go back in the shotgun, try to work their RPO zone game, get the inside zone, the outside zone going. And just one more thing, selfishly, I really hope Kenny Young plays because he made Travis Kelsey really mad in the first game. Like, he really yeah, he upset did. Travis Kelsey. He, a couple times it looked like Kelsey felt like he was just pulling on his neck, which we were talking about was a little hurt after the play. Nothing, like, bad. Nothing dirty, dirty. So I hope he plays, because I think this is one of those few games where Travis Kelsey, who's matured a lot from his young days, but might get some of that youthful energy out and do a little bit of smack talk and just have one of those really big games to start. See, he was really, he was really heated in the first half of that game with some of the extra tugging going on by Kenny Young. Yeah. And I know I want to, I want to say this as far as Kenny Young is concerned too. Uh, there is kind of a disconnect between a big chunk of Broncos country and it, it, it seems to have slowed down recently, but when Kenny Young was first acquired, basically everyone in Broncos country was kind of jumping on this idea that he's the solution for like, what's been the Broncos problem on the second level. He's okay. He's an okay run and chase linebacker. Like that's, but I would say he's right about replacement level. So like, it's not, like for me, like I, I don't mind him playing in this game, especially because that would probably be entertaining. <laughs> I don't I don't necessarily think that he is like the priority re-signing of the three free agent linebackers coming up. Uh so like for me, I would play Jonas Griffith, but also like with the coaching staff on the hot seat, we could definitely see veterans play on the Broncos side, even if it doesn't necessarily seem to make sense. The other one is Melvin Gordon over Javante Williams. Last time around and we're going to get moved to the defense in a second anyway, or the, you know, Broncos offense versus the chiefs defense. The last time around was Javante Williams. First time in the NFL, getting 20 plus carries in the NFL. It is also the only time up till this point. And I want, oh, no. to, and, and I just, I want to hammer this home for free. Cause I know listeners probably agree with me. If Javante Williams had gotten like the full workload this year, he'd probably make the pro bowl. Like, when he's been given the opportunities, and again, I'm not saying he's perfect. There's definitely, you know, I think he has to do a better job going forward with decision-making, but just like the full skill set, like the contact balance, the blocking, the explosiveness, like he has it all. Um, as much as I was critical of that second round trade-up, it looks like it at least got a really good player. And from the other side, like he's, he kind of has that running style to where I, when I'm watching it move, I'm not particularly scared just watching it happen. Like, okay, this guy's going to get there. This guy's going to get there. But defenders just bounce off of him with regularity. It's I'm not comparing him to Kareem Hunt, but as a Chiefs fan, it's the same thing as Kareem Hunt when he was young, like his rookie year with the Chiefs. Guys just bounced off of him 
all the time, even when they probably shouldn't have. And that's what it felt like watching him at North Carolina or that first game against the Chiefs where he was getting all those carries. Just nobody could bring him down. And by the second quarter, guys only want to tackle him at his you know thighs, his knees. Nobody wants to take that contact on anymore. I can only imagine you grind that out for a whole game, especially when the team was healthy. Like, there's no reason he should not be getting more carries in my mind. And that's even from a scarred Chiefs fan who has seen Melvin Gordon turn into an all-pro running back every time he faces the Chiefs throughout his entire career with the Chargers and thereafter. But, like, Javante Williams was just different. Like, guys did not want to tackle him. The only other player I've seen this year like that, Jamar Chase last week. Nobody on the Chiefs defense wanted to make contact with him. He's just too big, too explosive. That's what it's like. Those two guys just look different running the ball when guys try to tackle him. It's like, I hope he doesn't get 20 carries, but also I like watching him as a player. So as long as it doesn't impact the score, you know, too much, like, go ahead. Like, let's let him, let's let him play. I like to see it. And the other aspect of this, I think the, in terms of carries that I, for the Broncos side of it, if they want to try and win this game and I'm assuming, you know, Fangio wants to, the game plan looks pretty obvious. Like you have a backup quarterback. You're going to have a backup interior offensive line outside of center. You're going to want to try and run the ball as much as you can and try and keep the game. Like that, that is also the weakest part of the chiefs, not necessarily just because the run defense is bad, but it keeps you out of third and long or th- like must pass situations where Spags can kind of dial up all the pressures that he does that has given Denver quarterbacks, whether it's Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater, it's given Broncos quarterbacks problems for three years now. Like they've had, they've had no answer in passing downs against Spags defense. That's absolutely where you don't want to be against Steve Spagnuolo. Anytime where he can feel comfortable just rushing whoever he wants from wherever he wants is where you don't want to be in it. For him, that could be first and 10. Like Steve Spagnuolo is a wild card. He really can't bring anybody in first and 10. But you get into those third and longs, the Chiefs get into their sub packages, they get those pass rushers out there, and then they start crowding the line of scrimmage with everyone's favorite, you know, punching back, Daniel Sorensen, Ben Neiman, those guys are really good with on blitzes. Like, if you want me to tell me one thing that those two guys are excellent at, actually, Ben Neiman's low-key been good all year, but Dan Sorensen's a good blitzer for his safety. So, like, you let him get those guys out there mugging over A-gaps, good luck trying to decipher who's dropping, who's coming, and then also blocking Chris Jones, Frank Clark, Melvin Ingram, or, yeah, Melvin Ingram coming at you. Like, there's a lot of guys. So you don't want to be there. Run the ball in early downs. Or you can take the Bengals approach and just throw YOLO balls up the sideline and rely on your big receivers to beat our corners. Like that, that was the, those are your two options. And from a from a fan's perspective, if you're just hoping to see Drew Locke show off his arm, that's probably what you're hoping for in this game. If the Broncos do get behind, that's essentially probably what's going to have to happen anyway. Because the other part of it is the Chiefs are actually the best team in football against slot receivers. Uh, I looked at or at least by the numbers. So it's one of those things where I don't necessarily expect Jerry Judy to have a big game. Uh, I really hope that we we don't come out of this game with everybody just saying like Jerry Judy sucks. He didn't score. T-. Jerry Judy doesn't have a touchdown this year, uh, which is like the oh, weirdest no. stat. He's essentially been the Broncos' go-to wide receiver for you know when he's been healthy all year. But for whatever reason, whether it's Shermer, Bridgewater, Locke, whoever you want to blame, they can't find him in the in the red zone. Uh, so like that combined with, if he has a quiet, you know, season finale, the narrative in Denver could get kind of dumb. And so I hope that doesn't happen, but I, I'm also like mentally preparing myself for it. It's interesting to hear about the chiefs with the slot receivers because Legereus Sneed's going to be their primary slot defender. He's their primary slot corner. And I think by most metrics this year, he's actually been pretty bad. Like not even just not good, but he's been pretty bad. Now, I think you ask any Chiefs fan, they're going to tell you he's hands down the best corner. And like, it's just watching him play. That's the case. He's got the best movement skills. He plays the ball the best. He's the most consistent. But I think, like I said, analytically, he's been really bad. It's just... He's the guy that plays in the slot. He handles the way the Chiefs play their defense. The outside corners are getting most of the help. He gets isolated one-on-one with a lot of short, you know, horizontally breaking routes. A lot of catches get completed against him. He's just such a good open field tackler that he's limited some big plays out of it. So yeah, it's, just, it's interesting to see kind of that I didn't know they were that good against slot receivers. It doesn't surprise me a ton. I just know there's a high completion percentage throwing at Sneed, who's the guy that spends most of his time in there. That. That's fascinating to me too. Uh, just because, well, well, no, cause I, again, whenever, before we, whenever I have someone on, I always try and do as much a deep dive in terms of the numbers and then as much film as I can get my hands on. Sneed jumps out at me as a guy who has had a pretty good year uh, overall. Like he, he looks good on film in terms of like, yeah. he, he's in the right spot. 
he's not like making huge mistakes is like what usually jumps out to me when I've watched him. Then you look at his numbers. And again, this is according to uh, sports info solutions. He has allowed 60% completion this year, which by their charting is pretty bad. Uh, but at the same time, in terms of total points saved their EPA metric, uh, again, for listeners, that's estimated points added. So like in those situations, he's been above, you know, has he been adding value? He has 41 points, which is one of the better numbers for corners. So it's really weird. Um, so it kind of makes you wonder if, and again, Sertan is kind of like this, but Sertan is also, and I, I'm not trying to, you know, get in a tit for tat. That, Sertan to me looks better than Snead. Uh, yes. Sertan, Sertan doesn't allow completions. Like he does a really good job and he gets very, very little help. Uh, but, but the thing is Sertan gets thrown at a lot. Um, the way the Broncos set him up, he draws uh, looks from quarterbacks. And I kind of get the vibe that that's probably what Snead's doing too. If he's moving around, he's ending up on slots. The reason that they're probably doing that. And again, I haven't thought about this until just now talking to you, but <laughs> teams love throwing to the, the guys inside and the chiefs by design. Cause the other thing I looked at is the chiefs are actually quite good against tight ends. Uh, better, better than average against tight ends. I don't, I don't want to say good, but better than average. Uh, and again, the other thing is the season long numbers for the Chiefs are weird. Uh, for listeners, if you guys, you know, you care about the number part of it, but the Chiefs, and again, this has been covered in most broadcasts, but essentially about halfway through the year, all of a sudden Chris Jones was moved inside the trade for Melvin Ingram, kind of like a bunch of pieces were moved around around that. And since that happened, the Chiefs defense has been one of the better ones in football outside of the Bengals game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And no, the, the trick, I guess the small caveat is they went through a good stretch where they didn't play the greatest offenses. So that helps them look a lot better. But then it just like we talked about with Steed on the film, they looked a lot better. Chris Jones kicks inside. Melvin Ingram gives you another defensive end across from a now healthy Frank Clark. The secret big one is Willie Gay was back. He got healthy. Yeah. He came back. And like that gave them him and Legereus Sneed. They those two guys give you the two most athletic players on this defense, but especially on that second level. So where all of a sudden these teams were stressing the Chiefs horizontally across their second level, exploiting Anthony Hitchens and Nick Bolton in space, Dan Sorensen. Now all of a sudden you have two athletes on the second level that fly around a little bit more. I think that's just made such a big difference is having those two guys that can get from sideline to sideline out there. Like that's kind of where the turnaround comes from. And then same thing. It's like you're talking about with Patrick Sertan. They kind of set Snead up to be targeted a lot. So I'm not surprised that there's a relatively high you know, completion percentage or reception percentage at him. It's the yards per reception I imagine wouldn't be overly high because he doesn't get targeted downfield much. It's just all shallow stuff and he's really good versus the run. Very good when he's blitzing. He's like, he does a lot of little things well. And so I he's great for a Chiefs fan. Like you could ask any Chiefs fan, any name one player in the secondary or even outside the defensive line besides Tyron Matthew that you want to keep around. It's going to be luxurious need like resoundingly from the entire fan base. Makes sense. I mean, again, I was bummed when you guys found him because I definitely was sleeping on him coming out of the draft. Uh, <laughs> I, and again, like when you guys drafted Clyde Edwards Hilaire, I was happy, not because like, I thought, I thought he was a good fit, but I was yeah. happy because I thought you guys were going to go for Jalen and I was very relieved that you did not, but then Sneed came out and I was like, well, shit, like that doesn't even matter. <laughs> I thought they were going to take Jonathan Taylor. I'd heard enough rumblings that running back was in the mix. I had said, okay, Jonathan Taylor doesn't fit exactly what Andy likes to do, but he can also put him out there on every single play and not have to micromanage the position, which he'd kind of had to do before with Damian Williams and kind of the rotation they had. So like, I understood why they were looking at running back, even though I wouldn't have, I had decided that it was going to be Jonathan Taylor. Like that just made the most sense. And like looking back on it now, that. Uh, punch in the face to go with Clyde Zulaire over Jonathan Taylor. But like you said, I got the fit perspective. It just, it has not worked out at all so far for the Chiefs. Yeah, it just hasn't. There's kind of four players I'm really worried about in this game. And I just want to touch on them. Um, these are kind of the guys that typically have shown up in big moments. Melvin Ingram, maybe not so much just because he was a charger before, but Melvin Ingram is a huge matchup problem for the Broncos at this point, just because the way he's used uh, he'll be moved inside. Uh, and when he's done that, and this was before Dalton Reisner was out of the game, but like when Dalton Reisner's played, he has a ton of trouble against guys that are edge rushers that have that kind of quickness and burst inside. Like that's honestly why he's not a tackle. Every, every off season Broncos fans are like, why don't we just kick Dalton Reisner out to right tackle? And I, and I ask him like, did you actually watch him in pass pro? Because it doesn't. And again, like, I'm not trying to hate on him, 
but it's a huge liability. Like that's his biggest issue is his foot is his foot speed. He just can't reset quick enough against twitchier guys. And Ingram knows how to do that, knows how to get by him. At this point, now we have Natani Muti, who has T-Rex arms, so like it's even more of a concern. Uh, and then the way Ingram kind of like creates situations where it's really hard to isolate and really take away Chris Jones is also going to be an issue. Frank Clark and Ingram at this point together create enough havoc on their own that you can't just devote all this attention to Chris Jones. And Chris Jones, honestly, to my eye, he's the best defensive tackle in football who's not Aaron Donald. Yeah, especially rushing the passer, like he 100% is. Like, you know, I could sit here and put on a, a critical hat and poke a, a few amount of holes in his game versus the run, but you live with it because there's so many dynamic plays behind the line of scrimmage. But as a pass rusher, he might be. I mean, if Aaron Donald's 1A, Chris Jones might be 1B just from a technical standpoint as a yep. pure pass rusher. He really is that good. The Chiefs have found a way to no longer, you know, whether they've moved him outside or appeased his wishes to move him outside, he's no longer there. He's back inside. It's been it's been great. And then what that's also done, adding Melvin Ingram, you have Chris Jones who gets, you know, one-on-one, a lot more one-on-ones now. Jaron Reed, who's had a double-digit sack, you know, career or season in the NFL, is playing next to him. Then you have Melvin Ingram. Now you have a healthier Frank Clark. Each one of these guys has had a game during this stretch. The defense is better where they've looked absolutely dominant. So it is almost a pick your poison, figure out which guy is going to be hot. I can say this. Melvin Ingram is going to start the game really hot. And I do think he'll peter out by the time you get midway through the second quarter. It'll become a lot more energy or like effort stuff after that. It seems like he has a really good opening script. The pass rush moves. He throws a lot at blockers across from him. But veterans seem to pick up on what's happening because he has lost a step. I mean, he can make an impact early. It's just after that point, as long as you get hands on him with a the guy, they usually can control him as the game goes on in the pass rush. He's been somehow been a great run defender, and I never pegged him as a Steve Spagnuolo run defender off the edge because he's just not the longest. He doesn't want to stack up an offensive tackle, but he's been excellent against the run for the Chiefs as well. And that's another one of those reasons why Natani Mute makes me nervous against him because Natani, like when they move, when they do use him either on stunts or lining up inside. Muti, and I'm not looking at the number, but I want to say he's started three games and played in four. Mm. And again, that's, like, that's I like a him. bad game, bad matchup for that because there's going to be a lot of a lot of players hanging around in that line of scrimmage. The Chiefs have thrown a lot more stunts and games in this year. Uh, Brendan Daly and the defensive line coach has put in a lot more games and stunts this year. Then you get the blitz package, and their their best blitzers are all defensive backs. But if you give Nick Bolton or Willie Gay even just a sliver, they're both those guys are very explosive. So you give them just a moment of daylight to slip through the interior of the offensive line, they'll close on a quarterback quick. So like I do think early in the game, you might have some young guys that drew lock back there. You might put a little bit in like the torture rack in terms of trying to figure out what their protection calls versus this defensive front. Yeah. I, I mean, if I'm Spags, I would – kind of blitz getting off the bus. The, the other two players I just want to mention briefly, Tyron Matthew and Traverius Ward are both very competent. Uh, they both had pretty good seasons on the whole. Matthew, especially uh, Matthew is a huge aspect, like a huge asset for the chiefs in the last game. Um, also Daniel Sorensen has two picks in two of the last three Broncos games. I know he's been bad for big chunks of the year in coverage, but like he always seems to show up in these games. So for listeners, don't be surprised if Daniel Sorensen ends up with a pick six again because it happened twice now. Uh, but, but I, but I, I because it's Drew Locke instead of Teddy Bridgewater, and honestly, even if it was Teddy Bridgewater, given what he looked like prior to the injury, if I'm Spags, I'm probably trying to heat him up as much as possible because Drew Locke, while he has looked better in the last two games than he has basically for his whole career the MO on him for his career is if you make him uncomfortable, he's going to give the ball away. He's going to put it up for other people to make plays on it. Good, bad. And otherwise he doesn't take a lot of sacks, but he takes risks. Uh, he had two turnover worthy plays. He threw two balls right to Derwin James. One of them was a receiver falling down last week, but the other one was literally right to James, James and catch it. Uh, so it could have been a pick. Yeah, it, I mean, right now you're you know you're you're singing Steve Spagnuolo's uh, theme song. Like he, you know, he, he's gonna sit down, he's gonna watch this, he's gonna see the same stuff, and I mean, his eyes are gonna glow because he's coming off that third and twenty-seven call. He's getting asked about it in press conferences today, and he, he's essentially saying, "Hey, this is what I do. It's worked in the past. It didn't work this time. 
whether I, you know, I think it was a bad call. I think it was a bad decision, but that's what he does. He's going to stick to it. He's looking for this opportunity to say, hey, you're going to criticize me for blitzing. Watch me blitz a bunch here and watch it work. Like that's, I can almost guarantee you that's what's going to be running through his mind. You throw in the circumstance of getting a quarterback who can be flustered a little bit and put the ball up for grabs, an offensive line that may not be clicking on all cylinders or 100% ready. Yeah, I would expect a lot of blitzes, a lot of unique looks, a lot of guys, you know, showing fake pressure before dropping out. Like he's going to make it look ugly. And similar to the offensive side, I think they want to put this game away as early as possible and get deep into that rotation so guys can get some rest knowing that they do have to play that extra game now, most likely. It, from from a Broncos perspective, Drew Locke tends to struggle pre-snap versus post-snap. And again, that's another one of those things that, as you mentioned, where Spags will he'll bring everybody up and some of them will drop, some of them won't. And again, everybody does this to some degree, but no one really does it quite like Spags. Uh, Lou over in uh, Cincinnati does a decent job of it on third downs. Uh, but, but I mean, Spags will do it on any down. You mentioned it already. He'll do it on first down if he thinks it'll work. So he's going to test Drew Locke's ability to make the right decision, find his hot reads. The one matchup, and you you kind of alluded to this, but the one matchup that could be kind of like a saving grace for Locke in this game is the tight ends. Uh, I know the Chiefs have been good statistically against tight ends, but in terms of matchups, if the Broncos can find ways to get Fant or Alberto on Nick Fulton, Nick Bolton or Anthony Hitchens, that could be favorable just because Nick Bolton's a little bit short, and then Anthony Hitchens is not really mobile at this point. Uh, <laughs> like not great in coverage. Uh, I would say not. He hasn't been great in coverage for a couple of years. Great run defender, uh, or a serviceable run defender, better run defender. Uh, there we go. Uh, and and again, like I, I, I was happy that the Broncos passed on Nick Bolton, not because I thought he was bad, but because I knew he was going to be kind of have that issue in coverage, and yeah. it's showing up. And again, like he's he's probably one of your guys' best run defenders, but the trade off you get is if you can isolate him in coverage, that is something you can attack. I'm hoping that yeah. Shermer does it, but I have literally no confidence that Shermer is going to do it. It, it was funny that you mentioned Lou Anarumo's kind of being another defensive coordinator that moves guys a lot. Because going into last week's game, we kind of, Craig and I called them kind of the uh, the young version of Steve Spagnolo, as in he throws a bunch of stuff out there, but he's not entirely sure what works yet, where Steve Spagnolo's got 20 years of doing it. So he knows what crazy stuff he likes to run. So it's just funny you made that comparison. That's that's first thing I thought of too when watching that Bengals defense. But um, yeah, it's interesting the Chiefs don't, have been good against tight ends. Not that it's surprising, but they don't really match up anybody specifically with a tight end. It's going to be a little bit of Tyron Matthew. It's going to be a little yep. bit of Willie Gay. It's going to be a lot of you know match zone stuff going on. It's like no single person's taking away the tight end. But I will say this, you throw the ball over the middle of the field of this team, that the linebackers aren't great, but that's where you always have to worry about walking of Tyron Matthew lurking, and that's the scariest place to throw the football against this team. Anything that's clearing essentially five yards over the middle of the field, I mean, that's a so at some point in time, it almost feels like a 50-50 ball if it's going to end up in a Chiefs player's hands. And now you have Willie Gay, who's undercut a few quick outbreaking or in-breaking routes to make some interceptions. So like, there's some guys there that'll make plays, but if you do get any tight end matched up on Nick Bolton, any tight end matched up on Anthony Hitchens, you can find success. The Chiefs make it easy. They will want. They will give you those guys in coverage and leave Willie Gay on the opposite side to just take a running back to the flat. I haven't figured out exactly why they will do this, but they will. They will give you the matchup that you want versus the non-coverage linebackers. It just requires a little bit of creativity to get there, but you use some uh, motion and things like that. They'll give you those matchups that you want. You just got to be careful. It's not one of those trap coverages coming where all of a sudden one of those safeties is flying down to take him instead of a linebacker. You're giving me all the reasons why I like that matchup. And then yet all the reasons why I have no confidence it'll happen because I just, I, and again, like, I I don't want to just, you know, get into the, like the memes of Pat Shermer, but first of all, I think Shermer is going to go into this game like he has the last two weeks and really try to protect Locke from the issues that show up in Locke's game. If you play him for a long time, one of the big ones, and you kind of alluded to this is Locke is really bad at horizontal leading throws, or he has been for his career to this point. Again, I hope he's not in this game. So throwing over the middle on like crossers, anything like in breaking routes, it's an adventure with Locke because he struggles with anticipation and his ball placement is kind of inconsistent, especially if his footwork doesn't come together. That said, and again, I I don't want this, you know, for listeners, I'm not just trying to shit on Locke. He did on first down against the Chargers. He did go 11 to 12 for 198 yards. Keep in mind, obviously, the Broncos didn't move the ball until they were down 17 points, but 
once they were down 17 points on first down, Locke was really good. Basically, everywhere else, he was pretty putrid. Uh, he went 7 of 13 for 47 outside of first down. Only had three for, uh, conversions. Um, and then the other part of it is, and again, this is kind of my concern in this game. Since Drew Locke has taken over as the starting quarterback, the running game has disappeared. Uh, the Broncos against Las Vegas averaged four yards of play for the entire game. Both, you know, passing, rushing, everything. It wasn't Locke's fault in terms of like his own performance. But the, the Raiders went out of their way to shut down everything and make Locke carry the game. The Chargers early in the game did something similar and then kind of like let off the gas once they were up by enough that they didn't care anymore. Uh, so it's it's obvious what the Broncos game plan is going to be in this game. And I have no doubt that Spagnuolo is going to try and do the same thing. So again, from a lock perspective, you kind of hope that he, the passing game can carry it. But that's going to be high variance, a high variance game. It's either he's going to look really good on some chunk plays or... Yeah, and so the, the thing with Steve Spagnuolo is he doesn't like to be run on. Like, the Chiefs have had a really bad run defense, so it sounds weird to say, but his his defensive kind of philosophy bases around not being run on. That's why he only likes big, long, strong defensive ends. He doesn't. Chris Jones is an anomaly for him as a defensive tackle. He usually fields two 300-plus pound defensive tackles, you know, historically through his defenses. So he does not like to be run on. That's why you get the Nick Boltons, the Anthony Hitchens playing out there so often, those big guys like that playing linebacker. So they will, they won't give you these super like heavy or light boxes and just let you dash them if you, they think you're going to do that. Now, if they adjust, if they're afraid of the passing game, they will do that a little bit. So I think like you were talking about those first down passing numbers. I think this could be a game where the Broncos come out and should start throwing the ball on first down pretty early. And I know right. it goes against the general philosophy of how you want to ball control against Kansas City, but I think that's where you're going to get your best looks. The Chiefs will give them to you. That's going to be where you're going to get the most stagnant Steve Spagnuolo defenses to start. It's just if Locke gets got, if he gets confused, if the pressure's getting home and he starts making a couple bad throws, like it can turn ugly fast. But I think that's where you can have early success on this team is hitting them with those quick first down passes. We probably won't go over special teams too much just because I'd rather talk to you about things that aren't depressing. Uh, big things are both Brandon McManus and Sam Martin are in COVID reserve. Uh, as of right now, they tested positive on Monday. The Broncos have not signed anybody as we're talking right now. They are counting on them returning or at least one of them returning. Uh, McManus was a college punter. Sam Martin, uh, well, McManus was a punter at Temple, not only a punter, but he punted on top of field, you know, field goal. And then Sam Martin does have experience as a place kicker. So the big thing is, if one of them returns, not the other, we could see basically no field goals uh, and a lot of fourth down decisions. But I would expect one of them to be back, and punts are still on the table. Uh, that said, uh, DNBR's Andrew Mason did say that he would. I want to say I don't have the tweet in front of me, but he said essentially like I would bet my life that they are not going to punt in this game, uh, which. God help me if they're on like fourth and 35 and they don't punt. Like, I don't even know what I'm going to say. Uh, but here's my question. Who's the holder? Like, do they hold for each other or is, yeah. Is, yeah. Okay. I okay. have no idea. Yeah, that was I, my one. No, <laughs> I know. Well, I know. Yeah. It's no, it's a good question. Uh, but yeah, Martin's the holder. So I don't really okay. know what the plan is. Uh, probably a, you know, a backup, but we haven't found out yet as of Wednesday who that is. Um, but I mean, outside of those two, the Broncos special teams have been atrocious all year. Um, it showed up in the last Chiefs game. Uh, Deontay Spencer muffed, uh, but the Broncos have allowed punt blocks. They've allowed kick blocks. They've given up two kick return touchdowns. They lost the Steelers game in part because of a leverage penalty. And then the Chiefs have the best special teams in football. So it's the, the, the mismatch here is stark. The Chiefs do have a tendency to shoot themselves in the foot on special teams. Like, they have one of the best statistical special teams units in all of football. And I believe that they've had two pump or two kickoff return touchdowns called back on penalty this year. They've probably had a handful of other penalties on kickoff return specifically. They've had a couple fumbles off of them. Like they have not had great luck, so to speak, in terms of their special team stuff, but it still ranks out so well because they are really good. Dave Tobe is a great special teams coach. He gets a lot of leeway with the, he gets a lot of say in the roster. So it better be a good special teams unit. Like they better be top because he gets to pick a lot of the last 10, 15 spot decisions, but they've been good. Byron Pringle as a kick returner has been excellent. Like he gets a lot of flack for returning. It's a Dave Tobe thing, but they run everything out of the end zone. They don't want to take Neil backs. They're going to run it out. So he'll get hit at the 15 and go down and fans get mad. 
But like you see it, when he gets that sliver, he can take any kick to the house. So they will gladly risk that every single time. So it is a good unit for the Chiefs. It's helped them win some games. I, I hope this game isn't close enough that it comes down to the special teams in this one. I just think the Chiefs, you know, hopefully should be riding a little bit higher than that. But if it does, like I always feel confident the Chiefs are going to have the better special teams unit out of the game. Their biggest weakness, though, if Tommy Townsend's back, I'm not sure if he's going to be back for this game or if they're still going to be using his brother, Johnny Townsend. I, that's confusing. <laughs> um, but if he's back, he's been a very unclutch punter. Good punter, but when they needed a good punt, whether it was going back to the Super Bowl or some big games, he's he had a tendency to shank some in some big spots. So that's one thing to watch if he has to punt down the stretch in the game. I think there's a lot of good pieces on the Broncos, but at this point in the season, like there's nothing to play for. I'm of the mindset. I would rather my healthy young or my hurt young players sit. Like there's no point in risking them in a, in a game against the best team in football for what, for, for a job status. That's probably already decided unless George Payton is kind of nervous about, you know, the ownership situation. Uh, so for me, if I had to predict, this is going to probably be a chief's blowout. Um, but how like if the Broncos find a way to kind of like upset the Chiefs, do you see it? Like, is it even feasible, or is it just kind of like there's no chance? So the pathway for I think to do it. So I get the concept of wanting to play the Chiefs and control the ball, and I think there's a certain amount of that. You do have to sustain drives. I don't say you have to run the ball 50 times, but you have to sustain drives a little bit and limit the possessions the Chiefs will get offensively. I do think it's hard to beat the Chiefs offense the way they're playing right now by just trying to win a game by scoring 20 points. You're going to have to put points up on the board. So if the Broncos are to upset them, I think we talked about it. It's going to be Drew Locke plays a great game. You get one of these, like, a, what was it, the bowl game against Florida before he came out. Like that or the – no, I don't think it was a bowl game. But that game against Florida before he came out, you want that level of performance. You need Cortland Sutton. You need Tim Patrick. You need these big outside receivers going up and dominating Charvarius Ward, Rashawn Fitton, Mike Hughes at the catch point, much like the Cincinnati Bengals wide receivers did. And you just got to you, you have to score with them because you can't give the Chiefs, the Patrick Mahomes, the ball last. And you can't try to only score 20 points or the Chiefs will eventually, whether it's Mahomes, Kelsey Hill, or Andy Reid just manufacturing something out of nothing, they will find a way to score points. So you're going to have to score points. I think you're going to have to air the ball out to do it. I don't think this team is going to let a team completely beat them on the ground. And you'll need some surprise player, especially if Patrick Sertan can't play, especially if Bradley Chubb is 100% healthy. You'll kind of need a surprise guy to show up on defense and dominate the game. Because I don't know if Vic Fangio is going to out-coach Andy Reid that badly in this one for it not to be a specific player that steps up. Yep. So to me, uh, if like again, if the Broncos find a way to beat the Chiefs in this game, there's a real argument to be made that maybe we shouldn't rush to push Fangio out the door. And again, I know I'm, I'm not saying that like there's not been issues, but again, like the, the strengths he does bring to the defensive side of the ball are notable. Um, and if it, if it somehow kind of manifests itself in this game, like that's the Broncos haven't beat the chiefs since Peyton Manning's last ride. So like to, to do that in this game with all the players that are out would be huge. So Hopefully it happens. I'm not, I'm not predicting it. Uh, but thank you so much for coming on, man. I really, I really do appreciate it. Uh, guys, if you do not follow Matt on Twitter, I don't know why go do it. Uh, he is the chief in Carolina. Uh, go follow KC sports network on Twitter as well. Thanks for having me on Joe. I, I had a lot of fun, man. I, I'm sorry. I'm, you know, giving you the time crunch here at the end, but, uh, thanks for having me on. I enjoyed it. And hopefully we get to talk in uh, this off season. We'll talk some draft stuff coming up here. Can't wait.